I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to have today on my podcast the amazing Dana Ray Ashburn, who is not only a freelance makeup artist, but also the founder and CEO of Able Cosmetics. Hello, hello. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you for being here. Um, so I have to have this full disclosure, but in advance of our podcast, I actually am a user of your eyeliner. Um, so I'm a fan in advance of our meeting. Thank you. Yeah, I thought primary pencil would be a good fit for you because it's like softer and it would just work well with your eyes. So yeah, so I really like what you've done. And one thing that's really cool, well, we're going to get more into this in detail, but I just wanted to start by telling everyone one thing that I really like about this eyeliner that I've been using is not only is it beautiful and chic and I love a black and white aesthetic, um, but it comes with this cute little blending brush on one side, and I don't know if I'm doing it right, but I like it. And then it also has this cap that allows you to sharpen the eyeliner pencil, which is actually brilliant. Like, I, this is a game-changing cap for an eyeliner. Yeah, I mean, all of Abel's products are solution-oriented in one way or another. So primary pencils, which what you're holding, is my second product. And uh, since it's a solution-oriented beauty brand, I kind of thought to myself, what problems do people really have with pencils? I mean, it's one of the easier styles of eyeliner, but there's always that, where's my sharpener moment? And you're like digging around in your bag, hoping Oh, it's totally. There. And then you find like, you know, a tomato knife, and that's what happens to me sometimes, where I'm like, I, I'm going to make this work. And then... <laughs> and forget um, about trying to use an electric pencil sharpener. You will break you your done? kids' toys forever. <laughs> and then um, it's blending. So a lot of people don't make, might not have the correct brush, or they'll try to blend with a Q-tip. And so I thought, why not have primarily everything you need on a pencil, which would be the actual pencil, a sharpener, and a brush to you know, create a smoky line, a subtle line, something day, night. People even use that formula as a base for a smoky eye. It's pretty versatile. That's awesome. Okay, so let's backtrack because we want to understand your journey. Um, when you were in high school and college and that kind of thing, did you think that you were going to go into makeup? Oh, 100%. Really? Yeah, I've known since I was 10 that I would Were you allowed makeup. to wear makeup when you were 10? Yeah. Well, my, my middle school didn't allow me to. I actually got taken to the principal's office for having purple hair. But um, <laughs> it was a very small Quaker school. And um, you In could, which city? I, I grew up in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Okay. And so it was a really small school, 20 kids in my grade. I dyed my hair like this auburn purple, got taken to the principal's office. Um, so, yeah, I was experimenting with my looks really early on. But it started because... My mom actually published a magazine, and I grew up just on sets with her, and I would watch the hair and makeup artists and stylists work on the models, and I was completely just like, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. What was the magazine that your mom was involved with? So she published a magazine called New Jersey Life. It was Her, her take was basically um, trying to show the nice side of New Jersey, the doctors, the actors, the restaurants, the beautiful sides that a lot of people, when they first hear New Jersey might not think and then it turned into New Jersey Life Health and Beauty 
And as time went on and I got a little bit older, even into high school, I got to edit some stories and do some trend articles. And so I've been able to grow up and see a lot of sides of beauty. So you had a little early professional experience in the beauty world, even when you were in high school. Yeah, she let my mom let me do my first cover when I was 13. So you did the makeup on the cover when yeah. you were 13 years yeah. old? there's oh actually a story um, that I could send you where I wrote about my whole career and that cover is in the article. Um, and then when I was in high school, I actually had to um, transfer schools because my very small Quaker school uh, didn't have a learning center. So they didn't know how to deal with kids who had learning differences. And so they actually asked me to leave once I was diagnosed with dyslexia. And so I went to a school that was more art focused and that school let me get a lot of credits through costume design and makeup and painting and was very creative. And at that high school, you're actually required a senior internship. And so I basically in the career that you want to end up in. And so I hand wrote Bobby Brown a letter and I waited and waited and waited to see if I could intern for her for my senior internship. And I got a Facebook message, which I wasn't supposed to be on at the time because Facebook was new from Dylan Plofker, which is her son. And he said, Hey, this is Dylan Plofker. My mom's Bobby Brown. You forgot to put your return address on your letter. Do you want to connect with her? <laughs> She's trying to oh find Oh my it. god! Yeah. I still have the Facebook message. That's amazing. And so before I knew it, I had a voice a voicemail from Bobby on my cell phone. I totally freaked out. And long story short, I got to intern for her um, my senior year of high school. So before even college, I was pretty deeply involved in beauty. Oh, wow. That's an amazing uh, opportunity to have, especially at that young, formative age. Yeah, I remember going into that interview absolutely terrified because I didn't, I didn't know New York that much. I mean, where I grew up, it was about an hour outside of Manhattan, 30 minutes from Philly, but it's all cornfields, so I wasn't that used to city. Um, but my mom dropped me in front of her office on the corner of Broadway and Prince and above the Prada store. And I remember exactly what I was wearing, and I went up, and she just said... And you must have done your makeup really well, right? (laughs) I have no idea. I remember that I used to wear a navy blue Bobby Brown eyeshadow every single day, and so I probably wore that. Um, But I got to the interview, and she just said, which department do you want to intern in? Do you want to be in PR? Where do you want to be? And I said, honestly, I want to learn everything. Because I knew I wanted to have a cosmetic line. I Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it would be, but I wanted to see it all. And so she just said, fine, you'll be my intern. And so I interned for her personal assistant and just got to see everything. I went to the labs. I was in name meetings. I tagged along with her um, when she would speak at stores or whatever it was. What a cool experience because yeah. Bobby Brown is an icon. She's like a legend in makeup. Yeah. She oh, yeah. And now she's in um, wellness. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, she's continuing to grow and change. So, did that inform any decisions that you made in college? Mm, well, in college, so first I went to Syracuse University. I was in the School of Visual and Performing Arts for painting. And um, I went into painting as many makeup artists do just to study color and light. And then instead of kind of continuing on the business side of beauty, every summer I would kind of want to get my hands dirty. And so I would assist for the celebrity makeup agency, the Wall Group. And so for the first two summers of college, I was on the set of Project Runway as an assistant. And and that's where I got to learn more of the craft side of makeup because I would be there. I was assisting a woman named Linda Hay, who is with Heidi Klum still. 
Um, and it was really cool just to see that whole side, which I had never seen before. I had seen freelancing on sets, but not really to this level. That's so neat. Okay, and so when did you decide that you were going to start Able Cosmetics? How did that come to be? Well, when I, I transferred from Syracuse to Parsons, and when I, I transferred to Parsons to be closer in New York and start my freelancing career. And even though I always knew I wanted to have a line, I didn't know what I wanted it to be. I mean, there's always been a lot of noise in the beauty industry, not nearly as much as there is now, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted the line to be. And so as I was freelancing and doing friends makeup and meeting new clients and working with models and just the more experience I got, I realized that there was all these looks and techniques that were really intimidating to people. Great example, a cat eye. And so oh, people would always request, I really want you to do a cat eye. I'm scared. I'm going to mess it up. People treat it like a tattoo. And so... And a cat eye is kind of your signature look, right? Yeah. I wear a cat or eye one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Different varying sizes depending on where I'm going. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I just, in college, just to reverse a little bit, I was a painting major, but I would use black ink, which is kind of, you know, now here I am creating black ink. Um, I would use black ink and rulers to create all these really intricate drawings. And so it seemed really obvious to me to have something to trace. And so I basically put a rubber edge on the end of, my, of the lid of my liquid liner, which is Cat Eye 101. So you can place the lid where you'd like your cat eye and trace it. Um, I have a US patent and one pending on that, which is great. Um, and. That's so cool, and that's this one right here. Okay, amazing. Um, So yeah, everything is three steps. I really just, personally, I need everything really simplified. It's part of my learning differences. I just don't need a lot of fluff instructions. Just tell me, layman's terms, what you want. Yeah, one, two, three. Yeah, and so all my instructions are one, two, three. Cat Eye 101, this is just a little protector. So it's just uh, line your eye, place the rubber edge, and trace it, and you have a cat eye. And so when and I, I'm holding one of these right now, and um, <laughs> and it's really like it. it's such a beautiful construction too. Like besides being, I'm not going to do this right now. I'll just save <laughs> everybody the auditory misery of listening to me do a cat eye. Um, but besides being cool and functional, the feel and like kind of user experience side of things is really nice. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it was really important to me that it feel luxury yeah Um, all of these products are custom molded um, molded aluminum and so I think that sometimes when people see the price point which it is under $30 but still it is a higher end liquid liner when you just see it you don't really understand why that's $27 and then you feel it and you're like okay oh yeah it's (laughs) worth every penny yeah it's I mean it's molded aluminum you really are getting two to three products with every um every single able product because this is a liquid liner and a stencil the pencils three products what does the name able refer to or how did you decide to name the product line able yeah finding a name was just one of the hardest parts of of the beginning of the company um because everything's trademarked uh but i couldn't think of anything and i just decided one day to get out of the city and i went to the barnes and noble in philadelphia with a girlfriend of mine and we sat on the floor with books and I was looking at a children's book and I saw a story about a boy named Abel. I wish that I bought that book. I don't even know what it was. 
And it just made so much sense um, to help people be able to create looks and to enable someone to create a look just with what I gave them, you know. It's not that you need to buy a product and then a tool and watch a tutorial. It's you're able to do it with, you know, what you just bought. Yeah, I and love so that. And so it kind of just came together. And also growing up kind of dealing with dyslexia, just giving someone an ability to do something on their own was huge. I really like that. It's an elegant name and it conveys all of that stuff. And I that's I was thinking of all of those things, but yeah. of course you want to hear the yeah. founder's story instead of <laughs> imputing your own. Um, did you think that you were going to focus mostly on the artisan side of actually being a makeup artist and doing people's makeup and having a client roster? Or did you um, think that you were going to focus more on the business end of a cosmetics company? And if so, you know, depending on how you answer that question, what's your goal for the future? Yeah, well, when I started freelancing in New York, I was an assistant. And so I didn't really know where my own personal makeup career was going as an artist. But as I started to get my own clients, I started to live that life of um, taking your kit with you on the subway and hauling your kit around. And I got to see what it was like to go from client to client to client. And the life of a makeup artist, it's really tough because you're hauling around you know a 60 pound suitcase and you're rushing from client to client and you don't think about the part where the client uh, the makeup artist has to set up and break down and clean their brushes and there's all these things and so there was a few years where I was freelancing a lot like a, I had a few gigs a day every single day and then when Able started to pick up and I launched Able I had to make some deci- decisions was Able going to be kind of my side hustle or was Able going to be full-time, and I tried to do both. I tried to be on sets and talk to my lab, and about a year and a half ago, I would say, um, or I guess when we relaunched in August 2017, I was on set one day, and I got a call from my lab. We had a manufacturing issue, and I had to like yell at someone, and I realized I was on set, and it kind of hit me that I really can't be the founder of Able like I need to be, and be stern and be on set and you know live these two lives especially with where I'm at in the brand and and that it's all me Um, maybe if I were a celebrity makeup artist and I had a large company making my products for me that's easier to juggle Um, but I'm not someone who kind of took that path I kind of almost free started freelancing and started really getting into freelancing and started getting into launching my brand around the same time so it wasn't like one took off and then the other followed but you do have some I mean I wouldn't let's not sell yourself short right (laughs) you do have some really amazing clients in your um, makeup artist roster right like some of our mutual friends who I think of as kind of like New York celebrities anyway like I know you do Hannah Bronfman's brows, and I know that you've helped uh, Nellie Diamond with her cat eye, and um, Claire Olshan, I know you help her with her skin, and tell us about some people that you take care of. Yeah, I mean, when I first started freelancing in New York, I worked with Hannah Bronfman quite a bit, Um, Claire, Allison Liu, those girls were with me when I was really, really starting out. and I feel like we were all kind of starting around the same time. We're, we're in the same kind of age age range. Um, now I work a lot with, with Nell, who I know has been on the podcast, and Sarah Hoover, who I know has been on the podcast. And I've worked with Daphne Oz. I'm not sure if she's been on before, but 
Um, and then also I work with Warner Brothers uh, when they have a new artist come to New York and Hearst Publishing. Um, and these are all great clients uh, who I love to work with. Um, but again, it is, it is tough to split your time. How did you get the first person to trust you with their face when you were just trying to start out as a makeup artist? And do you remember like your first couple of clients and what it was like to, you know, before you really had very much of a portfolio? I mean, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that I've always had some version of a portfolio just because I've been doing it for so long. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you first start as a makeup artist, it's really important to do test shoots. And test shoots are generally basically working for free. You're working for images. And so you have to accumulate um, all of these images kind of to prove your taste and your craft and, you know, what you can do. And so uh, Instagram wasn't so big when I was starting, but, you know, mainly it's been recommendations. Um, if it wasn't my portfolio, it's kind of word of mouth. That certainly would happen with some of the girls that you're referring to. It kind of starts with one and then their friend sees you tagged or they ask a friend or, you know, especially someone like Nell, um, who's known for a cat eye and her amazing porcelain skin. Um, people are always asking her, who does your makeup or what do you use? And it's just, uh, recommendations really. Do you ever find it stressful to do someone's makeup if it's the very first time and you're not exactly sure what they want? Definitely. Or do you, is there ever <laughs> is there ever like a dark side of the makeup artist experience where it, you can't make someone happy or you're just kind of like I mean I know you're incredibly skilled but I just more mean the psychology of it. Yeah, I think that people don't realize that uh, makeup artists you don't think about how much face time a makeup artist has with someone because you're really an inch from someone's face. Hours, right? Well, yeah, it shouldn't be. But yeah, <laughs> it should be more like forty-five minutes max. Um, but still, that's a long that's time a long to time. be in someone's face. And a lot of the women I work with are very, very busy. Um, they might not want to speak with you. They might just rather close their eyes. You know, I've had girls take a nap. I've had girls breastfeed, eat dinner, talk to their lawyer. You know, there's a lot of personal information that a makeup artist is trusted with because you're in someone's face, you're touching their face, you're with them, you're dealing with their confidence and making them feel good and you know, you're usually there at an important time. And so I don't think that people really think about that as the makeup artist at all. It's different for a hairstylist. The hairstylist in the back, they don't have to deal with as much, (laughs) you know, the show is on the makeup artist. And you also have to be able to read someone's mood. I mean, sometimes no one wants, someone doesn't want to talk to you and other times they really want to talk to someone. And so you play a little, you know, you just have to read the person in your chair. Have you ever been in a situation where you've had to like take off some stuff and start over? Mm. Or it usually doesn't come to that. Usually you talk through what the person's wearing, where they're going, and you have a pretty good idea. Maybe they might want to try something. Like maybe they've never worn a purple lip, and so you're like, all right, that's something easy that we can try. If you don't like it, it's an easy switch. Um, but I can't say that I've not gone wood, ever had to redo a full full face. <laughs> okay, that's good. Um, that, that brings me but some you can't kind really of relief. Take it, yeah. yeah, and you can't take it personally, you know, because there's so much in play when you're touching someone's face. Right. They're comfortable with what they do, and they're excited to have you do their makeup, but seeing something in a picture and seeing something on your face is completely different. 
Yeah. Um, that happens a lot when I work with brides. They'll show me a picture and, uh, you know, it's on me to talk them through what they're looking at. You know, I need to say, okay, I just want to let you know that this girl has false lashes on the top and the bottom and white eyeliner in her waterline and bronze under her eyes. And then they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, I didn't know all that. <laughs> so it's really on the makeup artist to talk through what someone's looking at that might not know. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, everything looks good on Instagram, but in yeah. real life, it may look a little bit jarring. Actually, yeah. that's one thing that I really like about all of your looks. They translate very well from print to real life, which I don't think is necessarily true of some of the very aggressively contoured types of looks that have become very popular on social media. What's your sort of thought about that? Social media? (laughs) Social media and kind of how social media has affected what people think of in terms of facial aesthetics. Uh, Woof. I think that... um, (laughs) Dive right into that big question. (laughs) I think that Instagram can be a great tool, and I think that it can also be um, kind of destructive for someone's confidence. I think that, you know, same goes for any type of retouching, but now it's more readily available with things like Facetune. Um, I think that there's two different, there's a few different kinds of makeup users, at least that I'm seeing. There's sort of the glossier RMS girl that's looking for more of a natural, no makeup makeup look. And then there's more of the Anastasia Morphe girl that, you know, would happily wear a glitter cut crease and a green smoky eye out every day. And um, Abel's kind of trying to fill that in between of, for me, my inspiration are the cool girls running around New York you know, who slap on a cat eye and a slip and some boots and kind of just always look chic. Just like you. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't even mean that. Um, But I think that there's kind of this in-between, like you don't have to be so natural or so extreme. I think that it's okay to be somewhere in the middle. And I I think that um, one problem with Instagram is that a lot of influencers who may not have hands-on experience with other people's faces are giving people advice on how to do makeup and it's kind of tough as an editorial makeup artist who doesn't like to be super face forward on social media to see really really heavy makeup um, being taught to someone who may not know how to do their own makeup I think that there's a kind of happy medium between learning techniques and you know putting on just layers and layers right uh, it's a really noisy space. It's a confusing time for beauty. It is. And I think that you kind of touched on something that I've thought about a lot, which is that we've made idols out of people who don't necessarily focus on the thing that they're preaching about um, in all different spaces of beauty. And I think about that with regard to um, my world as well, where some of the loudest and most powerful voices in plastic surgery are not plastic surgeons or dermatologists or board certified doctors of any description. Just like, I mean, there are a whole host of random people Mm. (laughs) who chime in. That's scarier. (laughs) I mean, it's it's scarier, right? Because you can have worse stuff happen than needing to wash your face. But but it's still, I think, frustrating in the same way. And I think that... um, uh, I think that's maybe a little bit of the darker side of influencer marketing. Like, who are these people? Yeah, I think that one nice thing is that as the, as the consumer becomes more educated about 
what's in their products. They're also caring more about who's making them and where they're getting their advice from. I think that there's a shift now happening to uh, from kind of uneducated bloggers to professionals making cosmetics li- cosmetic lines. So it's going from, you know, um, these kids that are just kind of doing their own makeup really heavy to celebrity makeup artists, hairstylists, manicurists, whatever, making their own lines. And it's feeling like those products have more merit. Um, you know, it seems like you really can't make a brand now without having a platform like... Glossier started from Into the Gloss, or um, you know Lisa Aldridge, the celebrity makeup artist, launched a lipstick line. She had she has a great platform. She's a trusted makeup artist. Or Pat McGrath is a huge, you know, makeup artist, and she had a platform. And so it's really important now to have a platform because you already have immediate customers. People already trust your opinion. Um, that's something that able. Is sort of working on because like I said my trajectory was sort of me as a makeup artist and able at the same time it wasn't that I started working on my own personal following and then launched a brand which is really what you have to do now you really have to have a following or some sort of successful platform to launch a brand so what is your strategy for growing able I just think that I really want to hang on to making quality products I know a lot of brands that the quality isn't actually there, it's just kind of a name, and so I just hope that quality prevails. Um, I hope to continue to make products that solve problems and help people apply makeup um, with better techniques and with more confidence and hope that we I can fill out the collection and attract loyal customers. Yeah, and so Abel's a relatively new brand, but um, do you have a sense of kind of how um, how it's been doing overall, however you want to define that. <laughs> <laughs> how Abel's been doing, I mean, in the last year, we started retailing in Anthropology and J. Crew, which are my first well-known retailers. I'm otherwise in some small brick and mortars. Um, we are on some e-com sites like Ipsy and AHA Life. Uh, uh, I think that Abel needs more eyes on it and I think that a lot of that comes from funding I think that with more financing able could put money into marketing um, because the truth is that if we don't have your email or if you're not following us on social or we don't get press it's a little bit hard to find us Mm -hmm. so because able so small and I mean myself and four consultants um, when three products trying to make it happen it really is in its infancy but this is our relaunch. So I launched in 2015 with a different version of Cat Eye One, which was refillable and much bigger. And I was one person in my apartment with 10,000 eyeliners, dealing with customers with six email addresses. And all of a sudden, I had all these problems with my products, and I had to pull it off the market. And I think when I first launched, we got press in pretty much everything but Print Vogue. And so when I had to put the brand at, at a standstill, it was a huge punch in the stomach. Um, I ran into these manufacturing problems that just, yeah, kind of t- took the wind right out of me. And did you, was there ever a moment where you felt like maybe this company is just going to fold and this was a mistake and not the right thing to do? I mean, I kind of wonder that every day. And I think that if an entrepreneur doesn't kind of <laughs> have, can't admit that thought, then 
I mean, it's just the truth. Like, especially when you're so small and it's private funding, friends and family, and you're dealing with people's money and there's just all the pressure in the world that you feel on you and it's your first company. Also, I've never taken a business class in my life, so I'm really learning as I go. I mean, every day I look at my analytics and my numbers and just think, holy shit, where's this thing going? But I just, again, can only hope that it'll grow. <laughs> well, I think that's actually really important for people who are listening to the podcast who are thinking about entrepreneurial ventures that, you know, it everything seems great and easy. Like, you know, you're selling your products in all these major retailers. They're popular amongst many of the it girls of New York. Um, what could possibly go wrong? But Well, there's a lot of things yeah. that I didn't know about going into this. I mean, I didn't know that manufacturers have minimum order quantities that I had to meet. I didn't think about the shelf life of my product. I didn't think about the fact that my minimum order quantity was 12,000 liquid eyeliners, which expire in a year that I have to move in a year with no retailers. And so also you don't think about how much these influencers want to get paid and is there engagement there to convert a sale? You know, there are all these things. And then even what you get charged from a retailer. Some retailers do chargebacks if something's late or you have to, you might not even break even on the order even if it's great to be in the store. Um, there's onboarding costs for a lot of these large retailers or for some of these beauty stores um, like Sephora, which I love, but it is an expensive endeavor because of the returns and the floor space. It's like real estate. Each of those brands owns their floor space. They rent it essentially. If a light goes out, it's on the brand. Um, it's so expensive and there's just so many things that I had to learn along the way um, whether it be claims or trademarks or just, there's just endless right. things and you make so many mistakes before you sort it yeah, out yeah and then it's like just the monthly overhead of all the small things that add up like I just added um, French and Spanish op- translation options on our website and then I got a quote for the year of what that would cost. And I was like, oh, come on, like another thing. And you just feel like it's just this endless cycle of paying off different apps and people to get it done right. Um, it's just endless. Yeah. How did you fund the initial investment in, um, in all the products and marketing and business side of things? Yeah, so I basically met with a turnkey lab and so basically some people when they make a product will go directly to a manufacturer and try to get scrappy and do it themselves. I felt like with my freelancing there was no way I could communicate with Korea and Italy and Czech Republic and get this all done myself and so I brought in a turnkey lab that basically from the moment that I draw a product and I say how I want it to perform and act we go back and forth with models and prototypes until we land on the right thing which is the more expensive road to take. And so by working with, which I didn't know at the time, but by working with them, I was able to come up with a number that I needed to at least make the products. And then I knew how much a photo shoot cost, and I knew that I could get the friend to do hair and me to do makeup, and I knew how much a website was, and so I kind of came up with a number. And then I went to friends and family and collected kind of like a first round and just took it from there. That's amazing. Yeah. In terms of the things that have been most helpful for your business, do you feel like social media is the main focus of marketing for our current era? Because a lot of the people who have been on this podcast and um, my friends and 
other entrepreneurs who I know um, focus heavily on social. Yeah. I think that social media is important for brands. I think that it's important to try to build a tribe following that is quality and not quantity. I would rather have I would rather able have 3,000 followers that are engaging than 50,000 followers that don't. So I think that figuring out, you know, who your demographic is through social media Definitely, and that's the same for influencers. Like when I first relaunched Able, I think I seeded to almost 200 influencers. And what came of it was only a few influencers that ended up really believing in the brand, sticking with the brand. And so, in one sense, it was a loss for me to lose so much inventory seeding to influencers. And on the other hand, I really figured out who were our core influencers. Like who were the girls who were quality and understood the brand and stood behind the idea. And so I think that social media is important in that way. On on that note, I just went live on Instagram. So. We're live. <laughs> you know, I've so actually only been live once. This is like a meta podcast Instagram <laughs> live. It's funny because um, I used to have this just tremendous fear with public speaking. It was crippling. I actually dropped out of Syracuse University because of public speaking. And You're I, so eloquent and composed. That's so surprising. Well, I had some practice because okay. I was in the Sephora Accelerator program mm-hmm. where they choose 10 female beauty entrepreneurs to go and work on your business. And at the end, they say you're going to have to present to 200 Sephora employees and venture capitalists and XYZ and press. And in the phone interview, it's like a running joke with me and the girls who were in it that on, in the interview, I was like... No, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) And they were like, you know, you're being interviewed like to be one of 10 female entrepreneurs out of like thousands. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. Like there's no, no effing way that I'm going to get up on that stage. No way. And I, I, they were like, all right, well just come and like, we'll see what happens. And then of course I knew that that meant that they were going to convince me to go up on that stage. And actually with a lot of practice and some beta blockers, I was able to get through it, <laughs> but that kind of set the tone for me getting over my a fear that crippled all of my years in school, uh, years, I was crippled. What were some of the, aside from kind of public speaking and the intimidation factor with that, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced when starting Able Cosmetics? My manufacturing issues. Yeah. Um, all of my pens dried out. Like the I, liquid the liquid yeah, eyeliner pens. All of my pens dried out. And I was one person in an apartment with hundreds of customers who were angry. And we had gotten so much press and then there I was just completely like, what am I gonna do? Like how did you salvage those customer relationships? Because in the long run, the customer acquisition cost of those hundreds of people who are mad is so much more valuable than the lost revenue of the pens themselves. Yeah, I mean, luckily uh, we were able to figure out what the issue was, and the issue was that the products weren't tested properly. They had to go through like an air seal testing, and they weren't air seal tight. And so my lab, you know, helped fix the issue. But you're right, it is hard to gain back that customer's trust. And to be honest, I don't think that we did get a lot of those customers back. That was a huge loss, not just for inventory, for the company, the press, the customer relationships, everything. And I took a year to kind of try to build everything back up with 
press and product development and relationships. Um, but I always say I'm so glad that my big issue happened when I was small. You know, if that were to happen to a huge company, that would be a news. That'd be big news. If, right. And it would be on Estee Laundry now and it would be all over the place. Um, but I was small and I was getting little bursts of press here and there. And I was lucky that, that my biggest manufacturing issue happened when I was tiny. Do you feel like you've ironed out most of the kinks at this point? I think that I, I have, but I also just know what to ask. Now, you know, I mean, like I had mentioned previously, I've never taken a business class in my life. Um, I've always been an art kid who did makeup. And so now I know what to ask. I know what claims to talk about. I know a little bit more about ingredients. And I think I just know what to kind of what to look for now and what points to bring up and make sure which tests were done. Whereas before I was just kind of taking whoever I thought knew better than me advice, you know, I kind of would just go with what their recommendation was. How has it been for you to partner with big companies like Anthropology and J. Crew? Is that something that's um, good for the success and health of the brand? Or is that something where you think of it as more of a, of a marketing piece of the picture where you're getting exposure and your name out into the world? I think that it's both. I mean, I think that it's both. I think that it, as far as the marketing side, I think that it shows that Able is a brand that a large retailer believes in, um, but it's a great, they're great partnerships. Uh, J. Crew's really just starting to build up their beauty division uh, slowly, and they're being particular about which brands they really feel fit, and um, they have a really cool selection. And Anthropology, if you know Anthropology's beauty selection, you know it's really cool. Uh, some people don't even realize that they're in beauty, but I was really excited to be in Anthropology, especially because they brought us on for holiday, which was an exciting, it was just exciting for Able to be with them. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like there's nothing but good that's going to come from that because so many more people will just have a chance to look at and feel your products. And I feel like with with some companies, it's more about the name or the person who's hawking the product. But I feel like with these products, and this is just my two cents in my opinion, so for whatever that's worth. <laughs> so whoever's listening, and I'm not a makeup aficionado, but I do like nice things and facial aesthetics. Um, but I feel like if you hold these products and you use them, then you're sold. Like once you try them and you like them, then you're going to want them. Yeah, I mean, which is why I would love to get able into more stores uh, opposed to online. With Like with J. Curry Anthropology, we're online. Yeah. And so I would love to you know, have more retail partnerships where we're able to get in stores because I think you're right. I think that especially with products like these that are tools and someone may have not seen something that looks like this, they're kind of like, oh, I definitely want to play with that before I buy it. So I would love to, yeah, make more retail partnerships in store. Yeah, that's amazing. So we are nearing the end of our time, but I wanted to ask you if you have some advice for people who are thinking about entrepreneurship in beauty and makeup. Yeah, I mean, I think that I t what I touched on previously about having a platform so important, um, which basically just means kind of more work because you either need to kind of have a successful blog or a really strong point of view with a following that believes in you or um, maybe, you know, you're a makeup artist that already has a, a reputation. Um, I think that having a platform is really important because, you know, there's these legacy brands like 
Dior and Chanel, I was just talking about this with someone yesterday, who already have a built-in platform and they're already trusted brands, whereas new brands, they really have to have it all. They have to have a, a social stance, they need to be doing good, they need to be transparent with, with what's in their products, they have to have a positive message, they have to have a look, you know, they have to be... Um, you know, oftentimes kind of unisex, they have to be diverse, you know, there are so many boxes that you need to check now. And I think that it's super important to figure out which boxes are the most important to you to check and figure out what that looks like. And what is that demographic? Where else do they shop? Even if it's groceries, where are they buying groceries? Where are they buying sneakers? Where, where are they looking? Where do they look for inspiration? And so trying to figure out what your what claims are important to you, what message you want to convey, um, and who is that demographic is a, a good place to kind of start and figure out what you want to do. And can you partner with someone who has a platform if you don't? Maybe there's an influencer you love that wants to be part of a brand, or maybe you can pitch it to um, an existing company and they can incubate you. Um, yeah, but it... It is kind of a tough time to come out with something new, but I certainly wouldn't deter anyone from launching something that's innovative. I think that if you have a good idea, you should definitely share it with you know consumers and get it out there. That's amazing. Well, I'm so excited to see what you have next. Are you really passionate about the eye, or are you? <laughs> what is is this? Tell me about like sort of in terms of able and the makeup goals yeah are you going to focus mostly on the eye or are you going to do everything I felt like if I was going to tackle intimidating makeup problems the eyes cause the most intimidation I mean it's easy to put on blush it's easy to put on lipstick but eyes seem to be kind of like a nervous tender spot for people and so I tackled eyes with eyeliner and mascara I would love to move into shadows I constantly get requests for brows um, I do have a lip concept, and I don't think that Abel's always going to have to have a tool attached to it. I think that some of the innovation and problem solving can come from formulas, um, and maybe just small tweaks as to the way things are made that someone might not realize. So Abel will definitely continue to evolve and, and create Amazing. Now well, you're all three. <laughs> and now I'm like holding, sorry, I got distracted because I'm like holding all these awesome products. I'm going to post all of this on my Instagram so you guys can see what the stuff looks like because I think that's honestly half of the experience. But um, I want people to be able to find you. So where can they find you and learn more about Able? Yeah, so you can follow us on Instagram at Able Cosmetics and then you can check out our website, which is ablecosmetics.com. Uh, and then, as we mentioned, we're on Anthropology and J. Crew, and uh, we have a list of retailers on our site. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you.